to the Gone Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Howell. And I'm your host, Angie Rogers Howell. What is the Gone Boss Podcast? Well, it's a weekly podcast featuring awesome people in our community. We'll interview them, find out what makes them tick, the cool things they're doing to make our community a great place to live and work, and how they've gone boss. Be sure to check us out at goneboss.com or hashtag goneboss. We're on Instagram at goneboss2k or find us on Facebook by searching for Gone Boss. We're brought to you today by our premier sponsor, Schaefer Leadership Academy. Learn more at schaeferleadership.com. What do they have coming up? An in-person lunch and learn. In person. In person. And lunch. And lunch. Yes. It's gonna be yummy. When's lunch this gonna and happen? Learn. It is Tuesday, June 6th from 1130 to 1. Okay, well we gotta learn. This is called Toxicity in the Kitchen, Growing Past the Poison. We'll dive deeper into the core issues in the food industry while reviewing what we have learned in the past. Learning how to attract new talent to the industry, looking for types of people to attract and how to retain them. In the kitchen. So in this kitchen. is kind of built around people in the restaurant business. Yes, this and... program is ideal for food professionals and people who are interested in the industry and people who work adjacent to it. All right. So if you're a foodie, if you could still attend. Yeah. Even if you're not a foodie, you could still attend. But yes, if you're a foodie, this is right up your alley. This is presented by our friend Amanda Renniger. You know, she can sing. She can sing. She's not... Classically like trained opera, opera singer. singer. I know. She's amazing. She is amazing. And she's an amazing cook and baker. They own Sea Salt and Cinnamon Cupcakes here in town. So when's this going to be again? It's going to be Tuesday, June 6th from 1130 to 1. It's in person. Lunch it's and lunch. learn. And I bet it's going to be yummy food because it always is. Toxicity in the kitchen growing past the poison. Learn more at SchaeferLeadership.com. In the studio with me today, we have Kelly Huth. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> Hi there. I am Kelly Huth. I am the uh, Associate Vice President for Engagement at Ball State University. And I just came back uh, to Mun the Muncie area uh, back in the middle of January. So I'm very new to this role, um, but not new to Ball State. Um, from 2008 to 2018, uh, I was uh, employed at Ball State. And when I left was the Director of Immersive Learning. So I know the campus well. I know the community well. And it's really nice to be back in Muncie in this capacity. Now, is this the position that Delana Boyd held? It is. Okay. It is. <laughs> yes. That's, that's how a lot of our <laughs> listeners may, may know this, uh, what you're doing nowadays. So what are you doing in this role? So my job in this role is to really uh, build connections between the Ball State campus and, and the community. You know, if there are partners in Muncie or East Central Indiana or really across the state or the world who want to engage in some way with Ball State but don't know where to start, you know, we really are a place where people can come and find a way to connect with Ball State, um, whether it's through community-engaged research or if they're looking for volunteers or if they're, you know, interested in partnering with a group of students um, and they don't know where to start, you know, maybe because sometimes universities are big and intimidating places, they can come to us and we get, can get them pointed in the right direction. And then also, if there are faculty on campus who are interested in working in some sort of community capacity um, but don't know where to start to find a partner, we want to be able to get them connected to the outside as well. So we're really sort of a conduit for community engagement in both directions. And we do um, manage some community-based uh, projects on our own. But for the most part, I really see the Office of Community Engagement's role as making people um, connected, get, get connected to the, the right people that they need to on the inside or the outside. Now, have you always had an interest in this type of position or role? <laughs> 
when I really started thinking about community engagement the first time is when I was living um, in an urban architecture project in Arizona. This place was about um, offering alternative ideas to how cities can be designed. So if we take the car out of the center of the city and put people in the center of the city, how could our urban design in this country look differently? So we um, had people come from all over the world, um, architects and urban planners and just people who happened to be interested in the way that cities function and the way that communities function that would come to Arcosanti and we would talk about these things. So I did a lot of thinking about it then. And when I came back uh, from Arcosanti uh, to the Midwest, I started my graduate degree at Ball State and I really um, began thinking about how are communities connected to universities and how do they influence each other. And it just happened to be at a time uh, when Former President Joanne Gora was really sort of shifting immersive learning to the center of the brand of Ball State. There wasn't a support structure in place for that on campus. The Office of Community Engagement didn't even exist at Ball State at that point. Um, Delena Boyd was the, the, was the director of the Center for Organizational Resources, and she actually hired me to come in and sort of build an infrastructure for immersive learning. So I had to meet with community partners and uh, meet with faculty on campus and figure out how is it that we integrate community-based projects into the curriculum. What she really wanted to see was every single discipline uh, involved in community-based projects, not just you know disciplines like architecture and urban planning and, and teaching, but all how do all of the different disciplines at Ball State um, you know, integrate with community-engaged projects? So I talked with lots of partners, started doing that bridge building, and you know, ended up building sort of a support network for that on campus. So we started um, hosting professional development workshops for students and faculty and making sure that everybody was able to get to the connected to the types of resources they need to be able to be successful with immersive learning. Now, I know you're pretty new to the position and everything, but what are some of the projects like? Could you talk about those? One of the most important projects that we're involved in is just the, the partnership in general with Muncie Community Schools. Ball State is involved in the oversight of that district, but there are so many different things that are happening with that school district. There are faculty members who are doing community-engaged research projects. There are um, students that go in and volunteer for different types of, of projects, whether it's at the elementary school level or the high school level. Um, but there's a, an amazing project, and probably many people have heard of this one because it's been going on for about 13 years now, um, called Schools Within the Context of the Community. And this is led by um, you know Eva Zygmunt, um, and Pat Clark, uh, and many other professors throughout the years, but it's really about making sure that as they're uh, preparing teachers to go out into the world and be effective at their job, that, that the students understand, how do you understand the backgrounds of the kids that you're teaching? So they go into the Whiteley community, and they connect with community mentors there, and they um, have an opportunity to learn, you know, what are the lives of these children like outside of, of the school year, outside of the, the school day? Uh, so they really have a, a better sense of where the children are coming from when they come into the classroom. So they, they go into the schools, um, they go into the community centers, they interact with you know, the parents, they interact with the, the community mentors. And so they get a really a better sense of what's, what's happening uh, with, you know, throughout the lives of those children. And they spend their entire, I think it's an entire semester, you know, and they, basically the neighborhood is their classroom. Uh, so that's really a very good example of, of getting into the community, understanding what community needs are, being able to, to form our, our student learning and how we educate teachers as a result of what's happening in the communities. So that's just an example of an immersive learning project. Um, but as far as the OCE goes, you know, we are involved in a number of things. You know, we are involved in the, uh, coordinating the United Way Day of Action every year. Um, we are 
you know, help provide support for the United Way campaign. Um, you know, we do things like host the Bridge Dinner, which is an event every spring and every fall that, that is intended to just bring the campus and the community together to have dinner with each other and to, to build relationships. And you had a um, very good turnout this past yeah, I, I, th- I think that there's been a good turnout for for a very long time. Uh, more, the more that people know about it, the more that they come to rely on it. And I, when I was there uh, this past spring, I heard a lot of people say, this is one of my favorite events in Muncie. So it's just one of the things that we do to try to facilitate relationships and, and make sure that people get to know each other. I think that for lots of universities, it's difficult to connect with community. You know, people who are trained in academia have a very um, specific thing that they have to do to become successful in their own disciplines. You know, they have to be the experts in, in their disciplines. And in some di- disciplines, community-engaged work is not necessarily valued. You know, you, you're, you're, you get... Um, kudos for being able to, you know, write journal articles and be recognized in your field. And all of those things are very important. Um, but if, if what it is that you have to do to be successful as a professor is to write a book, you know, in order to get tenure, you don't have a lot of time left over in your life to go out and get engaged with, with community members and figure out, you know, how is it that community influences my teaching? How, how is it that engaging with a community partner can affect the direction that I take with research projects? So, you know, it, it's, there's a difference between doing research on campus by yourself sort of in a bubble or with your colleagues on campus and going out and disseminating that research in the community. You know, that's doing something for the community. It's kind of like the more the ideas of, of more traditional ideas of outreach. But community-engaged scholarship can mean something very different if, you're, if you have relationships with partners who are actually influencing what your research questions might be. Then you do something in collaboration with community partners. What does that research look like? What should that re- research be about? How is this research going to impact the, the neighborhoods and the, and the communities that I'm living in? So I think community-engaged scholarship is, is very different when you think of it in terms of engagement, um, something that you're doing in collaboration with community rather than something you're doing for or to a community. Well, let's switch gears and talk about you. How'd you get here? <laughs> well, what's your story? Where'd you come from? Well, I was born and raised in East Central Indiana. I actually uh, grew up in the Newcastle area and graduated from uh, Blue River High School in 1990, back in the day. My parents were um, high school sweethearts, and they got married in 1967, right out of of high school. And I I did my undergraduate work in Anderson and eventually came back and did um, my graduate work at Ball State. But I also lived, I've lived in other places as well. In my early 30s, I spent um, five years living in the Southwest, as I mentioned, at the Arco Santi Project earlier, also a little bit of time in New Mexico. And then most recently, I was uh, living in upstate New York and Binghamton, New York, working as the director of the Center for Civic Engagement at Binghamton University. And that is one of the academic research centers of the State University of New York system. So I was, you know, in the Northeast for for five years as well. But I have twins who are graduating from high school, <laughs> and we were there during the pandemic. And they made it made it very clear when we were there, far away from the family, that when it was time for college, they wanted to come back home. So are they going to Ball State or someplace <laughs> else here in Indiana? Uh, one of them is going to go to Ball State. Okay. Um, one of them is actually going to um, Miami of Ohio. Um, oh yes. Oxford. They, yeah, they both got uh, full rides to Miami of Ohio because we were citizens of the of the tribe um, oh, okay. of Oklahoma, the Miami of Oklahoma. Um, but they grew up on the Ball State campus. You know, it, it feels very much like home to them. I, um, we were just back, you know, kind of wandering around downtown in Muncie a, a few weeks ago, and my daughter's like, it's, it's just so great to be back here because it, I feel like this, this city is in my bones. And she's right. You know, it's, it's part of who she is. Uh, so, you know, when it came time to graduate, they really wanted to get back here. 
So we're back in Muncie. You know, it's, it's really nice to be back closer to all of our cousins, all of my siblings. Um, and it feels right. And this is really where I want to be when I retire. And I don't ever, after going through several moves in the last, <laughs> in the last decade, I really don't ever want to move again. So this has been a really great time to come home and um, reconnect with family, have them start uh, college in, in a place where they're more familiar. Talk to me a little bit about working through the pandemic. Well, it was it was really interesting being in the community engagement field uh, during the pandemic, especially at a, at a new university. You know, I got there in 2018, and so I was really building relationships in the community, getting to know people on and off campus. And in any role, uh, I think, like this in a university, it takes you about a year to really get acclimated to it. Um, but you have to spend a lot of time talking to community partners and figuring out, you know, what is that that relationship like between the campus and the community? And Binghamton was, they started in 1947. So they haven't been around for, you know, two centuries, like some of our, our academic institutions. You know, so there's a lot to learn about what does that relationship look like? You know, what are the good partnerships that are occurring? Where was the room to improve? Um, and I got an advisory committee off the ground, you know, got to know my staff really well. We got some good community engagement projects um, going. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, we have to stop. <laughs> We have to completely rethink how we're um, going to do higher ed and how are students going to learn in this sort of environment. And, you know, we ended up having students live on campus. You know, we're a residential campus at, at, at Binghamton, and it was very important that even though students weren't necessarily doing in-person classes, that they were on campus and that they had some sort of an, uh, an in-person experience. And many of them really wanted to get out into the community, but the limitation was on the side of the community partners, you know, because we had many partners who were nonprofit organizations and school districts, and you really couldn't go into a school during the pandemic. You know, they couldn't even let their own students in, let alone the college students that were there trying to provide support through this. So we had to shift and find different ways to engage with community partners um, in ways that were virtual. And I think that there were some some successes there. You know, there were some online tutoring and on, on, online mentoring things that we were able to do. And sometimes just, you know, having communications through Zoom with community partners and being able to come up with, you know, outcomes for different projects. It worked a little bit, but there's nothing that really, you know, that can replace personal face-to-face -face relationships. Uh, having the students feel a sense of belonging and part of, as part of the community, and that's what they get through community-engaged projects. So it was really, it was really tough. And at that point, at Binghamton University, I was also, our office was positioned in the Office of Student Affairs. So people in student affairs had to really shift and think about, okay, we need to, we need to be testing our students when they come back to class. So everyone in our office took on, you know, COVID testing responsibilities. So the time that we had to actually go out and engage or try to continue building those partnerships with, with, with community members was, was really limited. What's the best part of your job now? The best part of my job is when you see a relationship between campus and a community organization that really provides intense benefits to both. So, you know, we want to make sure that projects are mutually beneficial because if it's one-sided, it's not going to be sustainable. But if, if you go in and you're working with, a, with a, a community partner who really gets some benefits from the relationship, whether it's, you know, working with students, having, you know, the expertise of faculty, having staff organize, organize some kind of an event or initiative for them, that you, of course, want to see them have the benefits of that. But we also, I think, in higher ed need to acknowledge the benefits that come from having the expertise of community partners be part of our education program. 
you know, we, we do immersive learning at Ball State University because our students have great learning outcomes from those experiences. They get to go out and apply their skills and learn and make mistakes and have successes and all the different things that come with being part of a real project, you know, with a real partner. That's, that's um, a great experience for them. And, it, and hopefully it's at a time when they, you know, have the opportunity to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. That's what college is all about is, is learning. So there are tremendous learning outcomes that come from those projects. And that's really why we want to, to do it because there are outcomes for both the community and for the campus. But I think that if you really look at the whole community as a place where students learn, you know, we have experts in our community who never went to college. They don't have college degrees. They don't have doctorates. They're never going to be the professor in the classroom, but they have all this knowledge and experience um, that can help teach our students, you know, not only what it's like to be um, great as a professional, but what it's like to be a as a great citizen. So opening the, bo the boundaries of our learning beyond, um, beyond campus is really, I think, one of the, the things that makes Ball State special, <laughs> because we really do care about it and integrate it into our curriculum and into our scholarship. But it's because it does so many good things for us. So what gets you excited about life? Lightning bugs. <laughs> Really? Well, they're about ready to come out, aren't they? I know. June is upon us. Yeah. Lightning bugs. I, this time of year is is it's so fun to be able to be outside again. I was sitting outside in my yard a few nights ago, and at this time of the year, also tree frogs are another thing that come to life. You yes. know, we have some water at the edge of our property, and the tree frogs go crazy. And so when you can just sort of close your eyes and get absorbed into the world that those frogs live in. Those kinds of moments bring me joy. I, I really enjoy getting out in nature. Um, yes. Being, do you have any hobbies? Um, well, I mean, I, I love gardening. I love taking care of flowers and plants. Um, you know, it's been a couple of years since I've been able to have my own garden. So now that we're back in Muncie and I have some space, I'm, I'm super excited about being able to plant some things. I really also love cooking for my family. Um, you know, so when it's, you know, one of my favorite things to do <laughs> getting out of work is just come home, have a glass of wine make a pot of soup, um, have dinner with my family, and then maybe play a game of euchre. Um, that's something that I missed when I did not live in the Midwest. Is it, I've learned that say, that's very much a Midwestern They don't play euchre thing. outside of here, do they? <laughs> not very many people. <laughs> we, found, we found a couple of people in New York that actually played. Uh, but for the most part, outside of Indiana and Michigan, I don't know very many people who know how to play that game. And it is definitely um, a, a staple with my family. Do you have a favorite band or artist? Or a music genre. Yeah. My my favorite musician um, is a person that not a lot of people have heard of. Um, his name is uh, Bonnie Prince Billy. Will Oldham, but he goes by bon Bonnie Prince Billy. Um, he's from Louisville, Kentucky. He's um, sort of, I don't know, how do you describe? It's hard for me to, to describe musical genres. Um, indie folk. Okay. Sort of maybe alternative country. Um, but I discovered him... Uh, when I was about, I don't know, 20 or 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And some friends of mine uh, had known his music. They grew up in Bloomington and because they're you know closer to Louisville, um, had heard of him and seen him perform live. And they drove me up to Chicago to see him perform. And he's about my age. So he was very young at the time. Yeah. And when we got there, um, the venue, if you, if you can call it that, was just basically... A really small stage in between two buildings in Chicago, and it didn't. There was wasn't even enough room to set a, a, a row of bleachers like facing the stage. There was a row of bleachers oh, wow. that was sort of facing <laughs> sideways uh, because there wasn't enough space in between the two buildings to to have those fully um, facing the stage. Uh, and it was it was an 
really interesting night because he was he was young. There were there were lots and lots of technical difficulties that happened. He could not get his guitar in tune. Um, the, the mic kept going <laughs> in and out. So you know, lots of glitches on his end that I'm sure couldn't have been uh, very comforting to him as a performer. But he just he had such a, a presence on the stage. And when I heard his voice, you know, which was was not really as strong as it is today, you know, he he was just, you know, just start now. I mean, yeah, I mean, he'd been singing for for many years at that point, but it was just so different and so young and but so raw and so powerful and passionate um, that even through the the out of tune guitar and the technical glitches, I just completely fell in love with him that day. And I followed his music ever since then. I think I think probably throughout my life I've listened to his music more than I've listened to all other music combined. Um, wow! You know there were times. A true fan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I've I I I just love him, and he's still putting out albums and partnering with different types of people and singers. And you know there are times when he'll he will uh, kind of tour on his own, and then other times when he'll bring people along with him. He's got people um, during his Beware tour. Uh, several years ago, he toured with people like Cheyenne Mize and Emmett Kelly, and they just really add a lot to his music, um, you know, when he's got a bigger band. But I love his solo stuff as well. Now, did you meet him in person, or have you met him in person? <laughs> I did meet him in okay. person once. You sound like you met him in person. <laughs> no, only one time. And it was we actually made a trip to New Orleans to see him in a little venue called One-Eyed Jacks uh, okay. in the French Quarter. And I really wasn't planning to meet him. I, I just happened to be hanging around the bar after the show was over. And I saw him standing over in the corner. And he was sort of being uh, bombarded by a man, I think, that had a lot of beer to drink. <laughs> and so, so you, you rescued him. <laughs> well, I didn't rescue him. I sort of patiently waited for that conversation to be over. And I, as he, he walked past me, and, I, and you know, what's the one thing that you say to someone that you've been following for years and years and just adore their music? Um, and it ended up being this very, very awkward comment from me of, you know, you know, in my life, I've listened to your music more than I've listened to all other music combined. And he yeah. looked at me with this blank face, kind of like surprised <laughs> that I was even talking to him. And he's like, well, I guess that makes two of us. And I was like, oh, I really bombed that. My one opportunity <laughs> to say something to this beloved artist. Um, and he started to walk away from me. And then he just turned around and grabbed my arm and gave me a big hug. And oh, we wow. didn't exchange any more words, but it was just like, I think maybe he realized, oh, I should probably acknowledge the fact that this person has listened to my music this much. Um, but it was, I, I have to say, probably yeah. I couldn't ask for a better sort of odd little awkward meeting. <laughs> yeah. And we don't think about that a lot as uh, people, you know, that we influence other people that when they meet us, that they may be awestruck from us. And yeah, we should go back <laughs> and say, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for um, showing up and and things like that. So yeah, that's that's a cool story. Are you an early bird or a night owl? <laughs> Definitely an early bird. Okay, always have been. Yeah, up with the sun and four o'clock you're done. <laughs> uh, four o'clock. Yeah, we're getting close to that right now, aren't we? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's maybe. the way I am. I, I I'm I'm uh, I find more energy in the morning than the, in the afternoon. Yes, and three to four o'clock, it's like uh, it's time to. Time to wind this thing down. Yes. Even when I was in college, I could never be, I was never one of those students that would stay up all night long to cram for a, a 
a final or to write a paper. I was just never productive after a certain hour. Um, but I can wake up and be very alert in the morning. It's not that I love to crawl out of bed, you know, to, right. to get up and start working right away. I'd love to be able to like, you know, wake up slowly and drink some coffee, maybe sit on the porch, listen to the birds. Um, and that's not always how it goes, but I'm, I'm definitely more productive in the morning. What's your favorite movie? Okay. I think <laughs> that I would have to go back to the eighties. Uh, for my favorite movie. Have okay. you seen the movie Amadeus? I have, yes. Okay. A few times. Yes, so Great Amadeus, <laughs> which is really about a, a story about the the life and ultimately the death of, of Mozart. Um, I watched that movie over and over again when I was in high school, and I don't think I've ever found one that I love more. I think that Tom Hulse and F. Murray Abraham just were absolutely incredible uh in their roles as as mozart and salieri um and then you got to you know listen to the music of of mozart all the way through it so now i have to tell you i like the rock me amadeus by falco <laughs> a little more but i was young <laughs> do you have any hidden talents well i don't know if i get to claim this as a talent now but when i was young i learned how to play trumpet okay and uh i played for I think it was eight years. I had about eight years in before I graduated from high school. Uh, and That's when a pretty I was, good stretch. Yeah. And when I was 16, I actually got a perfect score at the state solo and ensemble contest for playing um, the Hummel Concerto on my trumpet. And I think even after all of these years, um, that's one of my uh, the accomplishments in my life that I am most proud of. I can still play a little bit. I don't play regularly makes me sad sometimes and I miss it and I still like to get out. I still have that same trumpet that I played when I was in high school and sometimes I'll get it out and play it. And you know, it's not quite like riding a bike, um, but you <laughs> remember how to play. Up. Yeah, it, it, it does. You can't just pick it up and sound like you did, you know, after you've been playing for eight years straight, but it's definitely, you know, one of the things that I, that I love to learn how to do. And, and I'm, I'm proud of that. And I'm glad that I'll be able to carry that with me. What's on your bucket list? What do you want to do before it's all said and done? I mean, we've got a few years, trust me. But. Yeah, I, I hope we do have a few years. <laughs> I think that, you know, I really enjoy, I, I, I'd like to travel to places where people are speaking other languages. So whether it's traveling abroad or traveling to other places in the United States where a lot of people from other countries like to visit because mm -hmm. they're so amazing. Well, you've definitely <laughs> been in the Southwest, which yes. there is a lot of language down there. Yes, yes. And I love living in the Southwest. Uh, the, the Southwest just have a whole different kind of feel. You know, it's... Definitely more laid back. Uh, there are more days of sunlight, which I, I have learned once I came back to the Midwest. And, and even in Binghamton, I think B Binghamton is one of the most cloudy cities in, <laughs> in the country. But, uh, you know, by the time you get to April in Binghamton, you know, you're really, you feel that seasonal affective disorder. Um, so when there are, when the sun is shining almost every day in the Midwest, you can tell it, uh, people, mm. it affects people's moods. Uh, it affects their outlook on life. So I really, I really enjoyed that area of the country. And I think that like Northern New Mexico, Northern Arizona, some of the prettiest, um, you know, some of the prettiest places that we have in the country. Coming back to Muncie mm -hmm. <laughs> has been such a spectacular thing for me, being able to reconnect with people, being able to see what has changed in the past five years. I just, there's something about this town and, and, and it's hard. I think when you grow up and you live here and you're here your whole life to really understand what's special about this place. Um, and there are a lot of people who have negative things to say about Muncie, but I, there are so many that have all the wonderful things to say. Mm -hmm. And I missed it when I was, you know, when I was living through the pandemic, I didn't just miss my family back here. I, I missed, I missed the community. Um, I missed being able to 
go downtown into places that feel like they're an extension of my living room. You know, I, I, the fickle peach uh, is, is one of my favorite places to visit. And, you know, we talk about, you know, how do you relax and what do you do with your, your spare time? I, I, I love to be able to go on Friday afternoons at five o'clock to the fickle peach and not have plans with anyone, but show up and there's people from the community. There's people from downtown. There are people from campus. There's usually at least one department meeting from ball state that's going on at the fickle peach. <laughs> Friday at just, five. Yeah. yeah. Friday at five. And you know, and you know, everyone, and that's, that's such a wonderful way to feel connections to people. Um, and there, you know, there are lots of great project ideas that are born there. Um, and lots of just chilling and hanging out and laughing with your friends. Um, and that was something that I missed a lot. And in Binghamton, I was just starting to get, you know, let's, let's get out and, and do some happy hours and, and make some conne connections between the campus and the community in a more informal way. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and it all kind of ah. came to a, a screeching halt. But, um, you know, I really enjoy downtown. Um, I know a lot of the business owners downtown, and I, I just I miss the the look and feel uh, of all the different parts of it. So coming back has been wonderful, and I've been super lucky to sort of land in this role. You know, I didn't know what was in store for me when I came back home. I wasn't sure if I still wanted to work in higher ed or if there would be the right space for me there. Um, but you know, very soon after making that decision, this this position happened to to open up. And I wouldn't look at an associate vice president position anywhere else, you know, in any other university. The only reason that it was attractive to me here is because I knew the campus and I knew the community. And I had working relationships with many members of the OCE team. And for community engagement, you know, my team is not just the people who work in my office. You know, there are people all across the campus who are doing engaged work. And there are people in the community who are the other side of that engaged work. Um, so it's, it's really nice to know that you have a team that's really, really big and expansive that encompasses more than just, you know, one little corner of the Oakwood building. So I'm, I'm honored and thrilled to be back and you know, couldn't be happier um, to know that I'm back in a place where I want to spend the rest of my life, raise, finish raising my children, um, reconnect with my family and, and, you know, continue my career. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I'm very excited because I got my wife back. Yeah, school's out for summer. <laughs> but not forever. Because not forever. <laughs> well, Angie was in School of Rock. Yes, I was random mom number five slash the bartender in, the, in a bar scene. And? While I love Civic and I love doing shows there and I love performing and being on stage, it is a big time commitment. And I think people, some people may not realize that. And then, yeah, you get sucked into this and it's great because you're, you're together with friends and like-minded people and you're putting together, you're making art and all of that woo-woo fluffy stuff or whatever. But it also takes a lot of time. <laughs> and it wasn't just you. It was not just me. The reason why I did this is because I floated it to the 19-year-old and I was like, hey, School of Rock. It's all about playing instruments and band and rock and he's roll. Into guitar and he's into right guitar. Now. He sings. He does all that stuff. We could do this together. And I was kind of expecting like the whatever. No, I don't want to do that. But instead, I got the oh, that might not be terrible. Which in nineteen-year-old speak is like that's an excellent idea. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, so I was like, great. So we auditioned and we both got in. He was Snake. He was the um, when. The Jack Black character gets kicked out of the band because he's irresponsible and whatever. Um, then Snake is his replacement. So he got to play in the No Vacancy Band, be on stage a couple times. 
Um, he also got to be in the bar scene with me because originally it's written as one person in the bar and it was just me standing there behind a table and I just look like a dork by myself. So he got to come and hang out with me on stage there too. And you two got to interact. We got to interact. Behind that Be table. behind the table and like make fun of the guys who are in the bar and stuff like that. So he did take my one of my lines from the bar scene. The shut up line was originally supposed to be mine, but he did it and it was so funny that the director's like, let's just have Holden do it. I'm like, Fine, you took <laughs> half of my lines. I have two lines in this whole show, and one of them goes to Holden. No, fine, whatever. Don't say I never gave you anything, child. <laughs> now, something about the show was it was a long run. It was four weekends long. Four weekends is a lot. Generally, typically speaking, we usually do three. And if it's going to be a popular show, sometimes we'll do four. I think I've been in one that did four. I think... Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. I think that one was four weekends. And that one was fun and awesome. And this one was fun and awesome too. But four weekends is a lot of weekends. I think we did 13, maybe 14 shows. That's a lot of shows. Now, it wasn't just these weekend shows. Like rehearsals for these sh <laughs> this show in particular. Oh my gosh. We re I mean we usually rehearse for about 6 to 8 weeks beforehand and so we did um and a lot of times we just get called like I have like a, a tiny bit part you have, I have two a bit lines. Part. I have two lines which got cut to one line and <laughs> I'm on stage in maybe three I I three scenes, not a lot, so it's not a big deal. So usually it's like they call you when we're rehearsing the two scenes you're in or whatever but this one just because of the the way the show works and the who rotating the stage. rotating stage and all of the kids and the parents and the our lead and just the way timing and things work we were there every night from 6 30 to <laughs> 9 so it was very much like the time you did two shows back to back. <laughs> two shows you back did to uh, back. nine to five and then one right before that. Mary remember? Poppins Mary was Poppins, right before that. Which was two great shows and everything. But I lost you for like six months. Yeah, that was a long time so to be checked this out. This one was only three months, but it felt like an eternity of uh, not seeing you or seeing you at you know, swoosh in around eight, nine o'clock at night after rehearsal. But sometimes later than that, like during tech week, we go until like nine thirty or 10. I, and then, you know, everybody's like, Oh, I'm so tired. I got to go home. I'm like, you live five minutes from here. You can literally <laughs> walk home. But you've got I've the 20 got minute drive back to farmland. Five minutes to farmland. <laughs> so. But the positives are that you got to hang out with our son Holden. Yes. Which and have a great time. And have a good time. Like, it was so funny. One of my castmates, a lot of people realize that we're related, but one of our castmates didn't realize we were related until the fourth weekend of shows. <laughs> she saw it on Facebook and was like, oh, I didn't realize he was your stepson. I thought you guys just hung out because you're like best buds. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. I think he's hanging out with me because he's stuck with me. Um, but it it was nice to spend, like, I spent more time with Holden than I did with you and Audia. Exactly. Um, and that's pretty cool because most people don't get to don't get to hang out with their 19-year-olds very often. No, 19-year-olds. They don't want to hang, hang out, out with their with, parents uh, and with, whatever. Definitely not their parents. Exactly. Um, so that was fun. And I had a good time. I it was fun to put the show together to see people enjoy it and laugh at the jokes that we've heard a million times and all of that. So making art, putting it all together is fun and awesome. And even though it's a big sacrifice, it's nice. Now. Yes. So Audia and I went to the show at least twice. She gets invited backstage, gets to see all the excitement and the behind the scenes. Yes. I think she really got enamored with it. I think she did too. And especially this one, because there were kids like her age on stage and stuff. Now, I've always told her before, like, hey, you know, we've got kids programs and, you know, camps in the summer and all this stuff. I'm like, you could do it. And she's like, 
one day because you know she's just a turd face i love her but she's a turd she's like mom not everybody wants to be the center of attention like you wow i'm like well true (laughs) yes so she's always been like i don't want to do that and so it's this time we're putting she came downstairs with me in the basement helping put props away after we're done with the whole run and we're striking everything and she's like mom when's the next show i'm like well this show, School of Rock, is done. That's why we're putting everything away. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, when's the next show you're going to be in? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's a couple things coming up. I'm like, well, and then there's Adam's Family. Then I'm like, oh, there's Adam's Family coming up. And she's like, yeah, if you do it, I might want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how I got roped into the thing with Holdy. And th- three months of my life gone with School of Rock. Yeah, so, so now I'm preparing next fall to be single dad again for... But, but you'll be I single. Have, you'll uh, just be single you. I know. <laughs> this may be great. The 19-year-old can take care of himself. He'll be 20 by then. And like uh, maybe he'll not be living with us. Who knows? But we'll see what happens because this nine-year-old... Uh, changes her mind, and she's a little bit stubborn about things. Oh, so. Yes, we'll see. Maybe she'll be very stubborn and decide she wants to do this, or she'll be stubborn and decide that's the last thing I ever, I never want to do that in my <laughs> life. So we'll see. I don't know. There's still time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Gone Boss. Be sure to check us out at goneboss.com or hashtag goneboss. We're on Instagram at goneboss2k or you can find us on Facebook just by searching Gone Boss. If you like what you heard today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Today's episode was brought to you by our premier sponsor, Schaefer Leadership Academy. Check them out at schaeferleadership.com. Have a great rest of your day and don't forget to tune in next week to find out who has Gone Boss. Boss. Yes.